0: Outdoor Edge knows that providing a freezer full of meat is part of the reason we all hunt. And what better way to bring it full circle than to process your own wild game? Outdoor Edge provides a full lineup of traditional and replaceable blade hunting knives and complete wild game processing kits to bring your wild game from the field to the freezer. Visit OutdoorEdge.com and at checkout, enter the discount code nation
1: 30 for 30% off all right guys welcome to today's show and joining me on the show actually in studio is brian krebs now brian's a guy that i connected with a long time ago um, through the nomadic outdoorsman and we just hit it off i found out that he was living now not that far from where i'm visiting up here in wisconsin and so i was like dude let's get some shed hunting in he said sure thing brought his dog grizz over along with a bunch of sheds that he's been finding this year. So, we're going to talk all about shed hunting, but we're also going to hit a lot of topics for western big game hunting because he grew up in the Midwest and he he just I mean in the last 10 years started hunting out west and chasing after elk, mule deer, antelope, you name it, some with his bow, some with his rifle. And so, I think he's going to have a lot of insight for us as first-time hunters or people who are looking to get out for their first time. Uh, as far as gear, weapons, um, types of types of hunting you can do, where to go, all of that good stuff. So we're going to jump into this one. I can't wait. You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there.
0: I've harvested 26 big game animals.
1: You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way. It's
0: always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to
1: expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. All right, guys, welcome to the Western Rookie. I am in studio with Brian Krebs, and I'm super pumped about it. I, uh... I've been wanting to meet up with this guy for a long time, and we have we've talked, gosh, probably every week for quite a while, and now we're actually face to face. Just got done shed hunting, so, dude, how's it going? It's
0: doing good, doing good. Yeah,
1: it's been a long time coming. Yeah, you just moved to Minneapolis,
0: right? Yeah, uh, moved from Fargo, North Dakota, to the Twin Cities metro. Uh, my fiance has a pretty lucrative pharmacy residency that's going to be about a year and a half yet so i decided we'll rent a place and i'll move so we can be together again
1: yeah dude that is when you told me that i was like first off that's only like an hour and a half how long did it get take you to get here
0: it was like an hour 45 it wasn't okay. bad at all
1: yeah so i was like man he's he's gonna be close i was already coming up to wisconsin and so i was like man do you want to come shed hunt
0: well, it's not by far the farthest I've driven to shed hunt. So <laughs> I
1: know you were like, dude, I've, I've driven farther than that just to scout for a shed hunting spot. Oh yeah. And so the fact that you could shoot over here and I come up here quite a bit, so you better believe we're going to shed hunt a lot more than, than what we did today.
0: Dude, I'm game.
1: What, uh, what has it been like this year for you shed hunting? Cause I know you were with the move and everything. You didn't get to do it for like two months or something, right?
0: Yeah I had to take about two months off between I had to go to Iowa for work and then we um, were packing and moving and I was homeless for about three four days while the house sold and we're waiting to start our lease. So I took some time off. I started out pretty hot out of the gate um, a little earlier than normal. I started end of January on public land in North Dakota rocking the snowshoes because we had two three feet of standing snow and racked up 28 sheds just like that and then had to put the gear aside and focus on family and life again so it feels good to get back in the woods finally
1: racked up 28 sheds just like that dude that makes me feel as sick as you were today when we were shed hunting yeah i was feeling a little
0: blue <laughs> in the gills for a little bit today um, i think it was too much caffeine and not enough water
1: yeah we uh we hit one spot the spot that i mainly hunt it's thick woods a little bit of marshland on bottom but I mean, you saw it. There's deer sign everywhere. Like you can't step without smushing a pile of deer crap.
0: Yeah, there's lots of sign. I was super surprised how big 40 acres can feel with that type of topography. I mean, you, I've been listening to the podcast and talking about, you know, we have a big family and we all hit this 40 acres, and I'm thinking like, man, we have a 40 acre woods back home, and it's like kind of full with three. Yeah, how you fit in 10, 11 on a piece that size? But then seeing it with all the draws and all the ridge lines and so much topography. I got turned around a couple of times, and it's like, oh, wow, this is feeling huge.
1: Yeah, Wisconsin Wisconsin thick t- timber gets big in a hurry. I mean, you don't have to have a lot of land to be able to hunt different spots and different types of terrain. That spot, I mean, it's all basically the same, except for a small portion of that wetland bottom. But, um, dude, it was fun. We didn't find a single shed on that chunk. I was kind of bummed about that. Yeah, that
0: wetland bottom transition area, I was getting really excited about. And then I pulled a real intelligent move and walked right into the middle of a briar patch <laughs> and then had to find my way out. Um, but, yeah, it looked like some great stuff. I did find one dead deer. I think you found a dead head as well, no antlers. Yep. Um, which is kind of, I mean, if you find a dead head, you wish there was antlers, but then you also wish there wasn't because then, you know, that would mean your buck is dead.
1: Well, and this one was even... Different than both of those because it was a deadhead that did have antlers, but they were completely chewed off by squirrels. Oh, I mean, yeah. It was like two tiny daggers on the top. That's like and, the
0: worst of both cases. Yeah.
1: The pedicles were small enough to where I was like, okay, this is a yearling. It may have been a spike, a fork, or a six, but still, I mean, the squirrels had chewed them completely down.
0: Yeah. That's a new aspect to me. So North Dakota doesn't have very many trees they don't have very many squirrels there's really nothing that eats them every now and then you might find like a porcupine chewed on it a little bit but for the most part your sheds are good for a couple of years i mean they'll start to get hard white and chalk but they don't get eaten down like you see some of the guys here that
1: they find this beautiful shed and it's missing three four inches on each time that would just be heartbreaking oh yeah my my cousin was just showing me some of his biggest sheds from this year and last year and I was looking at them, and you could see every single time. It wasn't chewed off, but it was chewed, like, into blades almost. You, you could have made a knife out of it because yeah. of how the squirrels chewed them.
0: So. They get sharp. I've found a couple like that, and they, like, I'm f- afraid to put them in my pack because I feel like they're going to punch <laughs> a hole, and I, like, don't want to put a hole in my brand-new pack. Yeah.
1: I was, I was super pumped to have you come out and shed hunt because – Every time I talk to you, you're like, dude, check this out. I just found sheds and you send me pictures and I'm like, sweet man, I'm never up here this time of year. And so the fact that we're actually in Wisconsin for like a prime shed hunting time, I was pumped and I'm like, dude, he's going to come out here, see all these antlers. He's going to help me be a better shed hunter. And then by the end of the day, we found one yeah
0: but you found it which was good I yeah. mean i was i've been sending you all these cu- pictures and videos trying to get you addicted to shed hunting and like get you fired up <laughs> so then you'd find some and it all just make a full circle um so that's why i've been sending you stuff and yeah that's the way it goes i mean i spent three four years shed hunting really hard without finding hardly anything and finally i just realized like our family farm is a great farm to hunt but it's not a great farm to shed hunt and i had to travel and scout public land, get permission on land, head out west to, to find antlers. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a learning process. Some people, they're fortunate to have great family land for shed hunting, and they pick up piles of antlers. I'm
1: a little jealous. I mean, I'd do it the same if I were them. One day maybe that'll be me too. Oh, yeah. Next time, next time you come up here, um, we're going to go hit my mom's in-law's land, and they don't shed hunt, but they've got bruisers out there. I mean, like some seriously nice deer. And none of them shed hunt, but they've got a ton of big fields. And I mean, I'm talking like CRP fields that are just on rolling hills like the stuff we saw today. Oh, yeah. And then they've got a lot of marshland down on bottom. And in the winter, it's not uncommon to drive back to the farm. We call it the farmhouse. It's farther back on the property. It's a super old house. Like one day we're going to come out and it's just going to be on the ground, you know, like collapse. (laughs) But they all hang out and play cards and drink in there and on the way out there. I'm talking you'll look over to the right in the marshland and you'll see 40-50 deer just hanging out there. So, um we're going to hit that next time you come in. Sounds like my kind of place. Sounds like North Dakota. <laughs> yeah. Um I'm I'm pumped to pick your brain today though. Uh shed is awesome, but we're going to talk about western hunting cuz you're fairly new to it, right? Yeah, I've been ever since I got out of college. I'd say
0: this is probably my 7th or 8th season. Um of straight elk hunting, I think I started 2016. The fall of 2016 was the first tag, and I've had
1: one every year since. Nice. So, yeah, I want to. My my whole goal for this podcast is to help other people give people the information or the gear gear advice that they need to hunt out west, even if it's talking about draws and and where you can find the um, percentage or the chances of actually getting a tag in a certain spot. And so. Uh, we're gonna dive into your experience of that so far. You've hunted several western states at this point, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, if you count western North Dakota as a western state, I do because it's definitely different than East Side. Um, I've done North Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, and Colorado, I believe, are the states that I've had tags and then I've done some shed hunting in South Dakota, but that's a little different. Yeah. So that's the the current lineup.
1: Yeah. What uh you, you've been going after elk.
0: Yep. Every year we do an elk. Uh, We've been pretty good about trying to get tags every year and making that kind of a staple tradition in our family. And then most years I try to add in some other stuff. This year I I have a wedding coming up. So a lot of my vacation time is going towards that. Past years I've had antelope tags, mule deer tags, western whitetail tags, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, How do you go about picking a state that you want to hunt? Uh, A lot of times we're looking at access issues, right? So we're trying to pick states where we can just get a general tag. Um, I was super lucky in 2019 to draw the North Dakota once in a lifetime. So that's definitely in a league of its own. But typically we're getting Montana general tags, Wyoming general tags, Colorado. I did draw a five-point unit. But we try to balance between those two, Wyoming and Montana mostly, just because it's good elk good elk hunting uh you're not dealing with a ton of over the counter pressure that colorado can come up with sometimes and so it it seems like it's a good value there's good things about colorado too and we might end up there this year with the way the draw system's going out west and there's just more pressure less tags it's you're starting to have to do some statistical analysis to figure out which
1: state you might get a tag in yeah so what what are you using uh to do some of the statistical analysis wow <laughs> I'm just some country boy. I can't say those big words. Yeah,
0: uh, Go Hunt for sure is our biggest resource. Yep, um, that's really where we start to break stuff down. And Go Hunt is amazing. It shows so much information about the units, the strategy articles, the application timelines, the state rules and regs, just the local buzz for a unit. But Go Hunt does have some limitations, and it's by no fault of their own. But these game and fish departments have such like complicated draw systems where not all the information gets to go hunt they can't use all of it so like montana for example they do their general draw and if you draw a general tag some people elect to also apply for a limited entry after that and you can check the box that says if i do not draw a limited entry i want to return my general tag and get my points back those are people that are saying i'm not interested in hunting a general unit I only want my general take so I can then apply for a limited entry. Oh, okay. So they do like two rounds. So you might not draw on the first round and then you get a tag anyway when they return all of those other ones from people that aren't interested in general units. Yeah. And so GoHunt doesn't have a good way to put that into a draw odd. So sometimes you have to like look deep into the state's own Excel spreadsheets and PDFs for the past years to figure out what your true odds are. So it can be pretty complicated.
1: Yeah. I like to see though, uh, people realizing the need for a software or a platform where you can find all that information out at once, because dude trying to look at every big game brochure or get on their website and see what the odds were for last year for the unit, for the season. That's so much like, especially if you're putting in for Montana, Wyoming, and Colorado.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, I try to build points as, as many States as I can. Um, this year I'm backing off on a couple just to re on the wedding and saving. But, um, it's for a guy with a, a normal day job like i do it's so much to add on and a lot of times these deadlines sneak up on you so you're running out of time you got to make decisions fast that's where Go Hunt really shines and then the nice thing is they just keep adding value to their subscription model i mean they're not increasing the price it's been the same since i got it but they keep adding they added maps and then they added 3d mapping and they keep adding strategy articles. Their gear shop is full of great stuff. I mean, they just keep adding to what you get with go hunt that it, it makes it a no brainer if you're a Western hunter or if you want to be a Western hunter.
1: Oh yeah. I got, I got turned onto it several months ago and I'm like, dude, how have I gone without this? Like, this is an amazing software. And then I actually talked to one of the guys from go hunt um, at the hunt expo And he was like, dude, we are 100% about hunting, like all of us. And so like everything we do revolves around hunting. And I'm like, that's awesome because you do see other companies that they'll start out in hunting and they'll branch out to different things. But they seem like they are 100% sold out. Like we will not change anything. It's always about hunting. I've heard them speak about the challenges of building a, a company so focused on hunting because all
0: of their employees want to take the fall off to go hunting. And they're like, we got to have some people stay back to run the company. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you need to find some of those Silicon Valley, like experts to run your stuff that have no idea about hunting. And it's just like, hey, we're going to pay you really good, but you also can't take off during basically september to january (laughs) yeah and they're probably like why would anybody take off from september to january that sounds ridiculous (laughs) yeah exactly no they're uh it's a cool platform and i highly recommend anybody who's trying to figure out how to hunt out west dive into that first oh yeah so much of of your preparation can be done on your phone tablet or or laptop yeah there's i like to say there's certain things Where you should spend money
0: on an elk hunt. And there's certain things you don't need to. And there's a lot of things you can do to make your hunt better without spending money. But go hunt is one of those things where I always allocate money towards because it's
1: that important. Yeah. All of my subscriptions are recurring. It's like, there's no question. I will be spending this money. I'm not, (laughs) I tell my wife, like, just a heads up, you're doing the budget. This is what is coming out this month. And she's like, oh, okay, cool. Whereas, if i didn't in every every month i was like or every year i was like hey babe i gotta pay for this again you just paid for that last year you know she's kind of understanding on that side especially when she gets to come out and see the actual software in use oh and, yeah yeah um what what does it look like i mean getting out west coming from actually first let's start with your your elk hunt in north dakota okay let's talk yeah. about
0: that yeah so i moved to north dakota for college and I didn't switch my residency over until I got a full-time job in North Dakota after college. And so the first year, I thought that the elk, bighorn, and moose raffle or drawing lottery was the same as the whitetail in June. And I had known when the whitetail was already. And so I'm waiting, and then May comes along, and they post the results, or April, May, and I'm like, wait a second. This is like earlier in the year than the whitetail? That makes no sense. So I completely missed the deadline super bummed about it and so then i went on the next year to apply for the first time and i draw and it they send out the emails and the bighorns always at the end of the year like september after they do their annual counts was when they released that result so it'll show like submitted successful unsuccessful and for some reason the combination of those three words really tripped me up i'm like wait a second and i read it like three times it says elk successful i'm like okay it does say successful and then it hit me i'm like oh no i must have screwed it up and applied for a cow tag because you only get one no matter what you pick if you pick cow that's your that you're done you don't get to hunt a bull yeah and so i was super worried so then i had to log (laughs) in and check to make sure i did the app right i did the right unit the right species the right gender and sure enough it was all good so that was the first um trophy unit i've ever had a tag for and there are some monster bulls in north dakota like I was i scouted that's one of the only tags i've also scouted ahead of time i've never we've never pre-scouted a unit myself my brother has but i've never done that before and so i went on um you know went online the best i could unfortunately at the time north dakota wasn't a part of go hunts and then i had to do old school methods looking at forums past tag holders luckily with like a once in a lifetime people are a little bit more willing to talk Um, You know, they don't have an elk tag this year or they've already had theirs, so they don't really care unless they have a family member with the tag. So I learned a lot of information the old school way, but we saw some giant elk out there. I saw a bull that was pushing 380, 390. Um, He got killed by a landowner the week after I shot mine, but it was a great hunt. I, I wish that for whatever reason I get lucky enough to hunt elk again in North Dakota, friend or family member draws a tag because it was amazing. Shot a great bull, 354-inch, uh, six by 6 which actually was my first elk, so it's a great way to break into elk hunting with a bull like that. I always tell people you ruin yourself when you shoot a monster like
1: that because then you're expecting that from now on. No,
0: you just get addicted to big elk. Yeah. So now I'm, like, dedicated. So sometime in my life I want to get back on some big elk. It's, and sometimes it's just not a ton of them running around general units. I mean, when we're bow hunting general units, we're not picky at all. We're going to shoot bull the first legal bulls that come in.
1: Yeah. So no, I totally agree. I mean, when, when you're out hunting public land and I haven't done it with a bow yet. And so I'm going to pick your brain a lot about that because I want to get into it. But when I'm out hunting public land, I'm like, dude, you're, you're hunting wild animals. You might have 40 sets of eyes on you to kill any one of them is a feat. And so to only like to isolate and be like, oh, I'm only going for a 380. Dude, you might not Good shoot luck. one for a long, long time. <laughs> yeah,
0: wish you the best, man.
1: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but, I mean, I feel like you're you're a lot like me. I mean, if you have the points one day to to hunt a really awesome unit with high odds of shooting a monster bull, that's great. But I couldn't give up hunting every year in hopes of doing that 12 years from now. I'd rather just be out in the woods every year, even if it means I'm shooting a smaller class animal.
0: Right, that's what I do. I'm an equal opportunity advocate so i build points in a couple states that i identify as mid and long term and then i also have states where they're short term so new mexico can be a short term depending on what level because they don't have a point system so there's some units you can draw every three years colorado's got a bunch of over-the-counter opportunities if you're early enough idaho has a bunch of over-the- counter opportunities and then you up until now you've been able to kind of balance before or back and forth between wyoming and montana that's changing a little bit with demand and tag allocations so that was like a Montana, Wyoming, and Colorado would be like our short term options. So we can go every year, and then maybe year five, year ten, we get to go to a spot like
1: Arizona or Utah, and and hunt some potentially bigger bulls. Yeah, yeah. I need to I need to definitely start putting in for more places, and and do what kind of what you're talking about. You know, hopefully, if if I put in for Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, Idaho, Utah you know, one of those places I'm going to get to go hunt each year. Yeah. And then I can be building points in the other places. And then, you know, even the, even the over counter, over the counter stuff like Colorado, it's going to be tough for me to ever switch from rifle hunting to bow hunting because I just love going with that group. I mean, it's a great group of guys. There's a lot of them and they know where the elk are. (laughs) And so it's like, if I go with them, even if I don't get a shot at an elk, I know that someone I'm with is going to get a shot at an elk. And to pass that up, just to maybe see one with my bow, I'll just go do a different Satan bow hunt yeah. and still go rifle hunt here.
0: Right, yeah. Family is the, a big portion of what we do. It just, you know, ironically, our group is that group that goes every year archery hunting. So we're kind of on the other side of that. And then if I add a rifle hunt, it's usually kind of on my own, or maybe I find one or two
1: people to go with me. But our our core hunt is the archery hunt. See, now now I've got a different game plan as you're talking about this, what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you really figure out archery hunting in Colorado before I switch from rifle. <laughs> well, we're going to end up there sooner.
0: It's one of one of these years we're going to end up there because we're not going to draw the other two states. So that's, but that's the whole reason why I have that point tracker Western hunt file that I showed you uh, oh, a yeah. clip of where it tracks all this stuff and all the hunts and seasons because it gets kind
1: of intense to manage. Dude, I feel when you sent me that spreadsheet, I was like, I feel so unprepared or maybe just lazy because I've talked to several people who, I mean, they really, really do their homework. I'm not a homework guy, dude. I did I did two sheets of homework my entire high school career, which is probably why I barely graduated. But I, <laughs> I just – homework, I'm like, nah. With hunting, it's a little bit different. But still, um, to, to have the stuff that you have mapped out on your computer and be tracking it meticulously – that's awesome. Like you're going to be set and one of these years it's going to pay off and you're going to be like, dude, now I got to pick which one of these States do I want to go shoot a big bull in? You know? Yeah. That happened a while ago.
0: So, I mean, I can tell the story now cause it's over and I didn't do anything illegal, so it's fine. Um, but I was applying for points in Colorado building up and I bought one point. And so I come back the next year to buy my second point and I log in and I have five. I don't know what happened. They switched their point tracking system and their whole website front end. So maybe, for whatever reason, a glitch happened and I went from 1 to 5. I've heard stories of people going from 5 to 0, too. So Oh, gosh. I mean, imagine heartbreaker right there. So I was like, this seems legit. Like, I gave it a couple weeks. Nothing was changing. I'm like, I might as well apply for a tag. I mean, I know this isn't the way it's supposed to be, but I'm not going to pass up this just silver platter of points that they handed me. So I put in for a five point unit because in Colorado, the current landscape is there's a big dead zone between like five and 12. And by the time you get to 12, that's going to be 16 with point creep. So I put in for it, had a great hunt, saw a lot of elk, shot a 280 inch bull on public land, you know, on a solo hunt,
1: which I don't know if I recommend that anymore, especially (laughs) for your first, that was, that was a mental challenge. Yeah. Dude, that, that's crazy about your points. I mean, you've shared that with me before, but that's that's a hunter's equivalent of like going and checking your bank account, hoping you have enough to pay your bills, and all of a sudden there's $30,000 in it, and you're like, where did this come from? Right. I
0: don't plan that happening again. I ran into the game warren while I was out there, and I even told him like, hey, this is what happened. This is how I got this tag. I'll just be honest with you. He's like, I don't you know, I guess the office screwed up. Good, good job making did good on it. You know, he saw my bowl and he, he's a great game warden. Ran into him a couple of times. And uh, yeah, so it's over now. So I don't mind telling people. <laughs> I didn't really want to broadcast it too much before I got drawn because then I, somebody could work for game and fish. and be Like, oh, we'll go fix that for you. Yeah.
1: No, it's awesome to get that off your get that weight off your shoulders when you talk to him and he's like, oh, cool. Good yeah. job. You made it happen.
0: Right. He was kind of shocked I was doing it by myself, and I was also camping at 13 below up above the tree line.
1: He just thought I was probably weird in general. <laughs> Dude, I I find those people, and we actually talked to the landowner today who's big into into uh, archery hunting out in Colorado, and when you see people out there doing it like that, those are the people you keep an eye on, and you see where they go. He said that he had people see his Kennetrek boot tracks, and they were like, oh, we're going to follow these because this guy's got tracks. He must be a serious hunter.
0: Yeah. I either think it's like this is a guy that knows what he's doing because I can tell they're tracks They have a little K pattern in them. Or it's a guy that just wastes too much money on hunting and doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> but I don't know either way. So I just kind of lean towards it's probably a dude that knows what he's doing.
1: I mean, yeah. if you're investing in your gear to that level, you probably have a reason. Well, and if it's only one person, you know, yeah. if you saw like 12 sets of tracks, you're probably not going to be like, yeah, these are the people to follow. Right. But when it's one, yeah. They probably know what they're doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of why I do the point tracking system just so I can kind of balance out. I get opportunity every year, hopefully so far I have. And then I also am building towards a future hunt that could be, you know,
1: a next level up. Yeah. Um. Speaking of boots, let's dive into equipment a little bit. Sure. What, how did, how did that change when, when you started hunting out West, what, what type of stuff did you look for? What equipment were you like, I'm upgrading this and, did it pay off or were there things that you were like, I really didn't need to spend the money on it?
0: Yeah. Um, up until elk hunting, I was always the hammy down boot guy in the family. So my dad has kind of like picky feet. And so he'd buy a pair of boots and to decide he didn't like them. And then he'd just give them to me. And I, I have pretty durable feet, so I would just rock them. And it's like whitetail hunting, pheasant hunting, nothing you really need a great pair of boots for anyway. So it always worked out fine. But then I had to finally buy a backup pair to go elk hunting. So I bought this like, I think there were $30 or $40 danners on sale, the TFX tan military-style boot. Very cheap, but they worked for a couple years as a backup pair. They are pretty lightweight, too, which was cool. But eventually, two weeks before my North Dakota elk tag, those backup danners just, like, catastrophically blew out. No fixing them. And I'm like, well, I can't do this North Dakota once-in-a-lifetime tag. And then I had a Montana archery hunt right behind it. I'm not going to do that with one pair of boots like that's just a recipe for disaster so i go to the store planning to buy another pair of danners and the salesman's like you seem like you're kind of into this like you said you've done a couple you got the north dakota hunt you got like 20 days of elk hunting in front of you what do you think about checking out a pair of kinetrex i was like wow man those are like the 500 pair aren't they i don't know if i'm up for that he's like just put them on and see how they feel let's start with that and i put them on and it felt like a hug for your foot like I don't know how to describe it you put it on and it just feels good and so you're like oh man I really like these and then you wear them around the store a little bit and you're like I really like these (laughs) um so I ended up buying them and I didn't break them in I went straight into my North Dakota elk hunt I spent five days in North Dakota wore them every day it rained every day my feet stayed dry I think I had two days off and then I did 12 days in Montana Wore those every day there too. No blisters. I mean, I'm not recommending don't break in your boots. I'm just saying I did it that way
1: and had I've had no issues since. And it's been, what, three years now? That's what that's what the landowner said too. He said those are the one boots that he's had. And he had Danner's for a long time and still loves them. But he tried those uh, Kenetrex on and he was like, dude, it felt like it was part of my foot. And he swears by them. He said he doesn't break his in. And that's foreign to me because – one thing that everybody told me like when you buy boots wear them a lot wear them for a month wear them all the time go on hikes with them but to hear that there's people who are buying kennetrex and they don't even break them in and it does does everything it needs to doesn't mess up your feet without breaking them in that's kind of cool
0: yeah i mean i don't recommend it i i would still probably suggest break them in before you go on your first elk hunt but it's they they seem to be an amazing pair of boots that you might not need to, yeah. but why
1: risk it? I mean, you're already going into the, so much investment. Dude, foot issues would be so crappy out there. Like to have, to get a blister on your foot would suck if yeah. you're in the backcountry, especially if it's hindering your ability to get in quietly, like you're limping or something to, to baby a wound on your foot.
0: Yeah. So to, on the other end of the spectrum, um, the year before I started elk hunting, my brother and the rest of the crew went archery hunt in Wyoming and they had a guy on the team and he just, he was more there for the family or not the family, but the friendship camaraderie, the guy's trip, didn't really care as much about the elk hunting itself or working out and making the most of his hunt. And so he brought his flatland boots, got massive blisters on both heels, like quarter sized blisters Jeez. on both heels, to the point where he stayed home the last day. Well, the last day at sunset, my brother shot a bull. It was a really nice six by six with this bow, sure enough, he laces up his boots to help pack it out. but can you imagine how painful every step of that three mile one way trip oh was with an gosh. elk on your back with quarter size blisters like so I would say boots like when we're talking about gear boots is something you don't have to buy Kenrx, but get something that you can walk all day or a couple days in a row. And feel good. It's one. I mean, it's not the end of the world to switch to a second pair just to have different hot spots, different, you know, pressure points, a little bit different feel for your feet. But just get boots that
1: work for you. Are you are you running um, like a sock liner when you wear boots?
0: That's all I wear. I don't wear. Oh, the, nice. I just wear the liner. I don't wear a real sock.
1: Okay. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people talk about that, and I used to. I used to run a sock liner, and then, um, yeah, lately I haven't been. But I think I might. I might switch over to that.
0: See, I I thought I was buying a light, like a warm pair of socks for like archery hunting. Well, it turns out I bought just the liner, and that's what I've been wearing ever since. I didn't realize I was doing it wrong. Um, if it's really cold, like late rifle, then I might put on a thicker pair of wool bo- uh, boots. But yeah, I usually am just rocking the liner itself with nothing else. So
1: that's sweet. What what other gear did you did you upgrade or make purchases on? I've slowly built up the Sitka line of hunting gear for. For clothing,
0: um, me and my brother were kind of like anti Sicka guys for a long time. Everybody
1: is until they try it.
0: <laughs> yeah, when they first came out, we're like, that just seems ridiculous and the pattern's weird. But we've slowly started building some things. And, you know, you get one piece at a banquet or something, and you're like, ah, oh, this is kind of nice. And then you start thinking about it, and you see a sale on Camel Fire. So you buy a pair of pants, and the pants are really what turned us on to Sitka. They're so comfortable. And I think they were maybe just on the early edge of, like, technical hunting gear and so it was really nice so we we just went with sitka now it's just because i have the colors i just want to stay with the same brand but now there's kuyu first light i, I saw a new company recently called Forlow, for the love of hunting is their acronym and they're coming out with a technical based uh, hunting line so just anything that's really comfortable to wear i mean these pants that i'm wearing now are like sweatpants it's just nice when you're climbing over deadfall uh, you can wear them all day just something that's waterproof i mean it's the first time we went to Wyoming, the guy that turned us onto the spot was like, oh, don't even worry about rain gear. It never rains in Wyoming. And we went there, and it rained every day. Dang. So, yeah, don't listen to people that say stuff like that. Just be prepared. Wear clothes that are comfortable. It doesn't – I mean, the one of the guys that's in the best shape in our group that hunts the longest – actually, they're brothers. One guy's in the military, so he wears a lot of his military-grade stuff. He outwalks all of us. The other guy buys stuff at Fleet Farm and outwalks all of us but his brother. So – it's not like it's going to make you a mountain goat, but it makes me a more comfortable walrus while I'm walking around out there. <laughs>
1: yeah, I uh, I feel like a lot of people, myself included, I, I kind of want to be the guy that has like hand-me-down camo and goes out and gets it done until I'm out there and I'm getting cold. <laughs> and then I'm like, yeah, I probably should have gotten better equipment.
0: Yeah, you should come out with a line of like technical-based clothes and retro colors.
1: Yeah, Dude, I one of my favorite jackets I've ever had was a Cabela's, an old school Cabela's, blotch camo like waterfowl jacket, and for years I wore that. And like we put on miles on the side by side and four wheelers in the morning, and it's cold. I mean, we're hunting second rifle, and it would keep me warm. But that thing is so bulky, you cannot pack it. That thing would fill up my entire pack if I had to take it off and pack it around in it. Um, but I've switched over to First Light, and I'm super happy with it. Of course, I ripped my pants the first time uh, walking through Scrub Oak, chasing mountain lions, and I was like, dang it, this sucks so bad. But also, I buy gear knowing that I'm going to use it. Yeah. And if I don't rip it, I'm probably not doing something right.
0: Right. And, and First Light's got a really, lot of really cool options. One of them is that rip stopper. I don't know if that piece had it, but they have a rip stopper technology that really works well. If you do start a rip, it stops it with the grid pattern of threads. Yep. Um, so that's awesome. I think First Light's doing a lot of really cool things. Honestly, I, you know, if I were to start over, I'd really have to look at a lot of different companies. I don't know if I would still go with Sitka, but just something that's comfortable and made for the West, too. Like you said, that big duck hunting jacket doesn't work the layer and it doesn't fit in your pack because you're constantly taking stuff off, putting stuff on. I tell people, elk hunting is like a week
1: of being miserable. And then you look back on it and you're like, I can't wait to do it again. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's, you're, you can become so exhausted in the moment, but I look back and the hike in to go after elk is not what I remember. It's the pack out when I've got a bunch of weight on my back, my legs hurt so bad that I think I'm never going to make it back to the side by side. I remember those moments and I'm like, gosh, that was awesome.
0: Yeah. You remember feelings like the feeling of the first step when you get off your knees you're like oh boy this feels heavy (laughs) yeah and then you remember the feeling of putting it down on your tailgate and how good that feels i mean those are the things you remember not like the other stuff but you like the other stuff's what you feel in the moment you're hot you're cold you're sweaty it's windy got to put something back on you got to take it off i got a hot spot growing in my foot um i scratched my arm real bad with some brush i mean it's just like kind
1: of miserable while you're doing it but it's so worth it yeah um Real quick, I do. I've I've got to hit on that ripstop material because those pants are the ripstop. Yeah. And I had a chunk, of, uh, like a broken off piece of scrub oak, and it poked right through my pants. I mean, I was moving. I was like pushing uphill, and I was like, I knew I was going through this stuff, and I was like, I just gotta, I just gotta tough it. I have no way around it. I'm just pushing through, and it went through, and it only ripped about an inch, but still, when you rip brand new pants, you're like, dang yeah. it. But it never went anywhere after that, and so I'm like. I can patch that up. No big deal. Um, as far as the pack out goes, I have learned my favorite trick now. And I saw my buddy Sean do it. He carries around the Primo's trigger sticks and he uses it as like uh, a hiking pole or a trekking pole. Oh, sure. And then on the pack out, when you've got a heavy pack full of meat or, you know, with an elk on your back or like uh, the the antlers on your back, when you stop, instead of sitting down, I just put that stick underneath my backpack, the, the trigger sticks, and I just let all the weight of my pack sit on the stick. Oh yeah, for sure. And just that is so much relief. It's like, it gives you a second wind to keep going.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We do, I do trekking poles and then a lot of times I'll lean forward and put them right into my chest and just lean on them. Yeah. Um, your way seems like a little bit better to take weight off your shoulders. We don't usually have trigger sticks though. Archery. I mean, we're archery hunting most of the time, so we don't, use the trigger sticks and we don't carry trekking poles because they would get in the way. Rifle hunting, depending on the situation, I would hunt with trekking poles because I have a, I usually hunt pretty heavy. I use my DSLR. I got glass, my rifle's like 13 pounds. Um, so sometimes if it's like late season sketchy terrain, I'll just hunt with the trekking poles. I keep my rifle in the, I think it's a Kafaru gun bear. Yep. Um, and it works really good. So
1: yeah. Yeah, the, um, the trigger sticks, I've found them to be so versatile for all the different applications. One, I mean, you've got a solid rest when you actually go to pull the trigger. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I thought about a bipod on the front of my rifle, and my buddy's like, don't, don't put a bipod on your rifle. Because the terrain we're in, you're never going to get a shot laying down on the ground or even kneeling. Like, it's probably going to be standing up. And so I was like, okay, cool. And he's like, I'll bring an extra trigger stick for you. And then we get out there and I used it when I shot my first bull and we got down there and it was hot. I mean, it was in the sixties, maybe low seventies. And we were back in there and it was going to be a long time quartering and boning, um, all the meat out. And so what we did, we actually took both of the trigger sticks. I had the tripod, he had the bipod and we set him up. He leaned his against some scrub oak and then I I carry like an emergency blanket just in my mm. first aid kit. Yeah. And actually I had two of them for some reason. I don't know why I had two of them. We laid one of them down and put the meat on it. And then we made shade out of the other one. And the difference in temperature from being in the sun to in the shade was unbelievable. So we just knelt down and quartered it out and boned it out in the shade and we were so much more comfortable and it kept the meat cooler yeah that's a good tip for archery hunting because that's like your average temp like that was above
0: average for rifle oh, where you guys are doing yeah, but yeah, for archery heart. that's your that's what you're doing i mean that's the temperatures it's going to be um yeah um Another what? thing those trigger sticks are good for rifle hunting out of tree stands like back in that whitetail zone. Yep. We've been using them a lot. My fiance is getting into like shotgun. We have shotgun zone and so I'll bring that for her so she can like put
1: it on the platform and use it as a rest for like a, a lone wolf tree stand. Yeah. I, I'm sure there's a company out there because I always have these shark tank ideas where I'm like, man, I need to, I need to come up with this and then I research it and it's already out there. Yeah. But I'm like, if you could get, if you could get a good camera arm, that actually has almost like a saddle sling that hangs down from it to rest your rifle on that you can pivot with in a tree stand, I feel like that would be super sweet because I've done the trigger stick deal in my tree stand, plant the legs on the platform, and you have a solid shooting rest. But if you actually have something that's hanging down from above you that you could rest it on and be able to pivot with it, I think that would be kind of cool.
0: I have a coworker that hunts deer in northern Minnesota, and he has an AR-10 platform pretty heavy gun and he's got like a box blind with like pretty much one main shooting um, direction. And he just hangs his gun out his window and then he put uh, broom bottoms together. So it's like brushes on both sides of his optic. So he loses no heat and he just leaves his gun hanging the whole hunt. And if there's a deer that walks
1: out, he just like makes a small adjustment, but it's all the weight is right there. Dude. I love redneck engineering (laughs) rednecks, especially when you come to, when it comes to hunting, we come up with some really creative solutions to problems. Oh, yeah. What, um, so Hunting Out West, it sounds like you've had some pretty amazing success. You've been doing it, you said, seven, seven seasons or since 2016. Yeah. And you've, you've killed multiple bulls now. How many, how many are you at? I've shot
0: two. Both of mine are with rifles. I've actually had very poor success with my bow. Um, I've, ha- I've had some unlucky encounters, I've had some unintelligent encounters, I've had, um my brother is insane with the bow he's shot i think he's on bull number four or five with the bow all on public land with a bow same amount of time
1: uh he has one extra year of archery hunting than me that's that's amazing i mean that's like really good yeah that's really good like i'm not like he's like four for six like insane average Jeez, maybe I need to have him on the podcast.
0: <laughs> I'm just kidding. He'd be he's super intelligent. He's a very analytical, intelligent person. Like he thinks about things um like which side of this tree should I walk on? Which side of like this ridge should I be on? Like I might just be too blundering and maybe that's the difference. He's just good. He's just a killer. You I mean he doesn't mess up. Um I think he's killed every bull he's shot at with a bow. Um, I mean he's just lights out it's it's awesome i mean three or three of them now i've been standing next to him when he shot which is frustrating because i'm like (laughs) stuck behind this big pine tree because i walked around the wrong side of the tree and then there's he's like oh there's an elk freeze and then he gets the shot because i'm like out of commission um or once i uh there was the second hunt in montana so the second archery hunt that ever did we had a nice six by six coming down a ridge And it was so steep, I had it in my mind that I could not shoot unless I ranged it because it was steep and I didn't know. Like, I was like, I have to range this so I can see the adjustment because I know it's not, you know, true distance anymore. So this elk comes up, I'm fumbling, I didn't stop him, I I was shaking so bad I didn't even get a range. He runs off, I blow the whole encounter. Sure enough, it was 33 yards just like I thought. I could have drilled him with either my 30 or my 40 pin because I was shooting a brand new bow, super fast just completely messed the situation up so two days later get into another bowl i did everything right this time because i've been for two days i've been walking around the mountains just mad at myself (laughs) so i did everything right i ranged him i stopped him with a bark i drew back locked in i adjusted my single pin slider everything right settle in hit the trigger there was a branch so low and so close it wasn't in my sight housing but it hit my arrow right out of the gate oh no arrow goes 30 feet over this bull's back and off the side of the mountain never to be seen again my brother steps out just whips an arrow into his like it's almost like that show arrow on netflix (laughs) where he like whips one out of the quiver pulls back and he's like how far i'm like 63. (laughs) got him oh ran straight back to the four-wheeler and piled up i mean it was the
1: easiest pack code i've ever done on an elk Jeez, man. Yeah, some people some people just have it. I, I, I think about it like there's athletes, and then there's people like you couldn't get them to make a basket in a game of basketball to save their life. And then there's people with hunting that are the same. They just somehow have that instinct, and they just make it happen. Or like you said, he's, he thinks about, I'm going to go around this side of the tree. I'm like you, dude. I'm going through and maybe not planning out my next step, and I figure it out in the moment, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. But, yeah, I would love to have, like, just that absolute killer gene in my body.
0: Yeah, and that's something that can make your elk hunt without spending a lot of money is just get really, really good with your bow. I mean, especially talking archery here, just get so good with your bow that you can make any shot you need to make within 40 yards or within 50 yards. Um, You don't need, when you're elk hunting out there, like, a lot of times you don't even get a shot window farther than that. And if you get 40, that's great. I mean, the you know, nobody goes out in Montana and trims your lanes for you. Yeah. Elk hunting. <laughs> and so just get so good with your bow that you can shoot and you know you're going to go over that limb at 15 and hit him at 40, even though that limb is right over his lungs. Yep. Right? Because that we've had that instance of elk hunting before, too, where you got to shoot over a limb to get the elk if you got to shoot in a small window i mean so many things out there can
1: go wrong you just have to be so good with your bow and that's free just shoot
0: all summer long yeah
1: what uh let's get technical with your archery equipment what what are you running let's talk about your bow yeah you mentioned your site a little bit but uh maybe elaborate on that and then also broadheads and arrows
0: okay yeah so i shoot just the matthews halon it's the first one i'm a you know i'm probably six seven years behind by now but it it shoots good enough i don't think there's been a lot of new progress in bows lately so i haven't updated i'm shooting uh i added the three pin housing to the sliders so now i have a three pin slider and i think that's kind of the best of both worlds some people would add like a fourth pin or a fifth pin and then slide still but you know to each their own i just like having three pins because a lot of times you don't have time to slide on an elk i mean if If you got into like a bedded elk at 52 yards and you had all the time in the world to adjust, maybe you would, but a lot of times you're, you know, they're moving, you're trying to pick one to draw anyway, and then they move in and now you have to readjust. So it's kind of nice having those three pins. Um, I don't, I have a, I have a pretty long stabilizer that's just personal preference. I'm running like a 10 inch front and a six inch back with some weight, which sounds ridiculous for mountain hunting, but I do it anyway. Uh, and then the arrows, I'm actually going to add a lot of weight to my arrow setup this year, just getting more towards an Ashby arrow study. I don't know if you've heard of the Ashby arrow studies. No, I haven't. Oh, so he's a guy that did a ton of arrow studies, and he came out with 13 factors that influence arrow penetration and performance. Weight is a big one. Mechanical advantage is a big one. So, like, the shape of your broadhead, like, having a very long broadhead versus, like, a very um, flat-looking broadhead. Yeah. Um front of center, micro diameter, all these things cut on contact, single bevel, so it spins and cracks bones and breaks bones rather than just like a dual bevel will just hit even and just get wedged in. So he did all these studies and found out that if you do it all right, they were testing on like African game after a guide would shoot something, they'd try to like break the front shoulder and they were getting pass-throughs with compound bows on water buffalo. Holy cow. Yeah, like breaking the front like they would break a front leg and still get a pass through jeez so like it's you're like wow i should maybe investigate this a little bit and yeah, you, no you're starting me. to hear a lot of people do that so i use right now i'm got like 500 grains and i use a fixed blade cut on contact hellraiser but it's a three blade i'm going to switch to a two blade i believe um i've talked to a lot of people and a lot of people have opinions on broadhead so i don't want to get too deep oh, into they that do, for sure but i've heard it said a lot of times if your elk hunt hinges
1: on a broadhead, don't pick a broadhead that hinges. Ooh, dang, that's good. Yeah, i've I've always used a mechanical broadhead, or I mean, I have for, gosh, the majority of my archery hunting life, yeah. And but I've only I've only whitetail hunted. Yeah, for some whitetails, I'm I've had some monster four blade
0: expandables for whitetails, no problem at all. I mean, I'll still shoot those. For whitetails, I mean, you get a nice four blade hole on a whitetail. You know, I'm gonna punch through it anyway with a modern bow and a pretty heavy setup, so I'm not worried about that. And the shot placement's a little bit better with the fixed blades. It's or sorry, the mechanicals. It's a little bit easier. But yeah, with those elk, you really want that second hole for blood. So you yep. really want penetration. So you're talking cut on contact. I would like to find a really good solid um construction two blade. They're kind of hard to find.
1: Yeah, there's not a lot of them out there. I like. That I don't know why, man, that single bevel is sticking with me. Like, I've never thought about that. Like, the dual bevel, it's not going to spin when it hits, but Mm -hmm. you almost get that screw pattern when it hits on one side. It can only go one way. Yeah. Um, Or the wedge, you know, forces it to spin that way. Yeah,
0: you want to match your single bevel direction to your fletching direction. Yep. So that way it spins in flight. And so when it hits it, it's already spinning, and it'll crack right away. Uh, apparently the theory is it'll crack the bone right away. So you don't lose as much energy driving into that
1: bone. It's already broke. And so you can keep on cutting and keep on penetrating. Dang. Yeah. We're going to have an additional conversation after this about arrow <laughs> setups. Cause yeah. that's pretty sweet. Um, I, I'm going to have to, I'm going to really have to dial in my archery equipment before going out there. And I mean, I, I feel very confident shooting with my bow because I do it all the time. Yeah. Um, But to hone in on those little things that will make me more successful on a shot uh, out west, you know, like you said, most bows out there right now, if you have a compound bow, a modern compound bow, you're going to get a pass through on a whitetail unless Mm -hmm. you, you know, hit the front shoulder. But, dude, shooting an elk, man, I can't imagine watching that arrow disappear into the side of an elk. That sounds... So crazy, right? My brother has shot four, um, and then I think
0: we've shot two or three. In addition to that, throughout the group, and I don't know if we've had a true pass through yet. We've had exit holes, but not—I don't think—true, like arrow in a tree pass throughs. Yeah. So it's hard. I mean, they're huge animals. It's n- it's yeah. not like you can just go in with your four hundred thirty grain whitetail arrow and a big mechanical, and just expect it to to pass they're huge animals you hit a bone your 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 mechanical blade is just going to break um it's not going to break the bone it's going to break the broadhead yeah even with some you know cheaper fixed blades i mean they are hard animals you got to. and then the the other thing is you might get a single lung on a whitetail and he'll bed down in 300 yards if you don't bump him and you can find him the next day you get a single elk uh, lung on an elk and he's two miles away and not a good blood trail so you i mean you don't want to stack the the odds against you in any aspect of archery elk hunting especially not your arrow yeah what uh what's your cutting diameter on the broadheads that you're using i think my Hellraisers an inch and three eighths or maybe an inch no inch and seven eighths okay i'm not sure it's i mean it's the nap's elk broadhead i mean the the, the elk is on the package it's they're kind of focused towards the elk hunting yeah i'm not
1: super specific i don't really remember it's legal i know that <laughs> yeah what um what about your rifle setup uh you'd mentioned it's 13 pounds yeah uh but that's all i know so far it's i just bought it this year this
0: last year it's the browning Bolt long range max nice So it's kind of a bridge between a standard rifle and a chassis rifle. So it's got the adjustable comb. It's got a 26 or 28-inch barrel. It's a longer barrel. It's got a big muzzle brake on it. Um, It's got some uh, updated bolt, so it only opens like, I think it's like a 60-degree open instead of like a whatever the other option was. 90-degree, I think. Yeah, so it doesn't hit your windage on your scope. Yep. Um, And I just wanted something fun. I know it's kind of heavy for Western hunting. A lot of people are probably rocking the, like, well, you just had Brad Clay on. Yeah. And he's talking about running, um, or no, the Gunworks. Gunworks yeah, yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like eight and a half is your sweet spot. Yep. Yeah, well, I'm at 13. Um, I run a bipod just because I've seen most of my shots have been laying down where I hunt. And it's different for everyone. But I've liked the bipod. I have the Vortex Viper. I think it's the Gen Two Viper Five Twenty Five Fifty first focal plane. Love that scope. I mean, it's that's my first expensive optic that I've bought. Yeah, everything else has been Christmas presents.
1: Oh, that thing is amazing, dude! I when I got that a couple years ago, I fell in love with it right away. I mean, the amount that you get out of Vortex Optics for the price. Oh yeah, there's nothing else that compares to it. I mean, it is changing optics. is one thing that I recommend to everybody who's getting into hunting out West because it's one thing, you know, to be shooting deer at a hundred yards, right. Or even to be glassing, you know, you take a pair of Bushnells out that you got at Walmart for $49. But when you spend time in the backcountry and you're glassing things or judging things at a long distance, or even, you know, having that clarity and enough light coming through the end of your scope to still see in deep timber, low light situations, like, you've got to have an optic that's going to hold up to the job.
0: Well, yeah, and I started replacing my spotting scope with my scope yep. in Montana last year just to save weight. And in Montana, your elk has to have a brow tine to be legal in, this, in the unit we were hunting. And so I was checking for brow tines with my rifle optic because it was powerful enough to do that. Whereas, like, your standard 3 by 9 isn't going to pick up a brow tine at 1,000 yards.
1: Yeah. You know, well, you're already
0: talking about a small
1: tine to begin with. And, and the clarity of it, like people underestimate the clarity. If, if you come from the East or the Midwest, I feel like a lot of people underestimate the clarity and I've heard even family members they are like, but is it really that much better? And I'm like, dude, if we were to go out and do a side-by-side comparison with your binos or my binos, your scope or my scope on a small target at, you know, 300 yards or pick out definition at that distance, a lot of these states out west have antler restrictions, or especially if you get into, like, imagine going after a, a bighorn and it's got to have a full curl. You have to know. Oh, like, I'd be terrified. Oh, yeah. That, that gives me so – I don't get anxious about things. That gives me so much anxiety, like, thinking this is oh, my yeah. tag and I have to 100% know. Yeah, this that, she
0: has to be a 10-year-old ram.
1: Yeah. And it's like,
0: I don't even know how to
1: score them, much less get it right <laughs> yeah. at 500 yards. Obviously, if I got that tag, I'd be doing a ton of research and learning as much as I possibly could. I'd just beforehand. pay an
0: official scorer to walk around with me and be like, <laughs> okay, that looks like 11. Is that 11? Like, can I shoot that RAM? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that would give me major anxiety. But yeah, the glasses, you know, like, yeah, you can do anything. You can shoot elk with open sight muzzle loaders in Colorado, like their season requires, but it helps. Yep. I mean, if you have some money to invest in different pieces of gear, like I said, boots are important. Comfortable clothing is important. Good glass is important. And that's where Vortex really shines is they give you that good glass for a pretty attractive price. I mean, you're not paying top-end Swaro or Zeiss money, and you're still getting a
1: product that could be like a lifetime scope. Yeah. And, I mean, the VIP warranty on that stuff. Sorry, I don't, I don't mean for this to turn into like a giant advertisement for Vortex, <laughs> yeah, right? even though... In case they're in, listening. In, in case they're listening. No, <laughs> the the VIP warranty, like even my binos, I've got the range-finding binos, the Fury 5000s, and I'm the idiot that when I'm going out and getting ready for a hunt or loading up my truck, I'm like the guy carrying every bag of groceries in and cutting off the circulation to his hands Oh yeah. with all my hunting gear, and I dropped my binos. They weren't in a case. I was just going to have, like, the shoulder straps instead of bringing my case out, and I dropped them, and... Um, you saw it today, that little oh, uh, yeah, rubber eyepiece yeah. popped off. Well, because I, I actually cracked the the spot that spirals in and out for, mm. for your eye relief. And knowing that now I don't have a season coming up, I can actually yeah. send them in yeah, and have take care them that. replace that. Free I of charge. It. Like, it's no-brainer.
0: They posted on their Instagram of a just completely smashed spotter, and there's a note. And it's like, hey, I don't know if you guys cover this, but my brother left my spotter on the bumper of his truck, and then it bounced off, and the second car in our caravan ran it over. Oh, my gosh. And he's like, yeah, we cover
1: idiot brothers. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Right. Well, I was at the Shields in uh, Johnstown, Colorado, and in their case, when I was actually looking at different optics from Vortex, in their case, they had a pair of binos, that was completely melted it was almost unrecognizable it was in a house fire oh boy and the guy sent this melted pile of of rubber and plastic and glass and they replaced it and i think they were probably like hey can we keep this just to put on display and show people yeah like
0: show people this is serious and it doesn't have
1: to be hunting related yeah we're I, i think their only stipulation is it can't be intentional yeah right which makes sense yeah it totally makes sense but i'm like to have that peace of mind knowing that if my glass goes down I can get it replaced why not buy it yeah you know so yeah. i i love it i i've i've sworn by their stuff and i'll continue to buy their stuff but um yeah so that's my glass um
0: the only thing left is kind of the bullet i i i like heavy bullets up until now i've been shooting the 200 grain eldx i had a 300 short meg before this and then i had a 300 win mag now and then I recently wanted to switch to monolithics, which is a solid copper bullet, because they retain their weight so much better than a lead core bullet. And so, if a monolithic is retaining what they advertise 97 to 99%, you shoot a 180 grain bullet, that means you're going to retain, you know, that you're going to lose anywhere from 1.8 to 5.4 grams, which is like nothing. Yeah versus it's common to lose 20 percent of a lead core bullet so even if you're shooting a 200 grain lead core you could lose up to 40 grains so now you're down to 160 so you think you're shooting this heavy bullet and you actually end up with a lighter bullet so i switched to 180 and i worked good i mean i dumped a mule deer with it and i dumped a um antelope with it obviously the antelope (laughs) <laughs> it was a little bit over game, but I was excited to try out my new rifle. And that's the only rifle I own. I don't own a 22. I don't own an AR. I don't own any other rifles. So it was my only option Yeah, for my antelope tag. But then I was going back through my books. I'm a big reader. And I was reading this old school deer hunter's handbook. And it's got all these stories from the old time crates, Like um, uh, Teddy Roosevelt's got sections in it talking about hunting in the Badlands of North Dakota. Um, all these, you know greats and they're every one of them's talking about use a light fast bullet for deer and you'll typically drop your deer better than a slow heavy bullet so now i'm kind of looking at maybe switching to 165 grain monolithic so i still retain that weight but i get
1: a little bit more speed out of that 300 Mag. yeah dude i i love shooting i mean i wish it wasn't so expensive especially oh, yeah. now dude when the ammo crises go on I'm like, dude, this sucks so much because I would shoot every day if I could. And getting into, like, that's the one thing I like nerding out about is ballistics and researching the new ammo coming out. Like, uh, I don't know if you've looked into it at all. The the six five three hundred that Weatherby came out with. I've seen it. Dude, go on and look at the information about that round. It is unbelievable. The velocity the energy that it carries all the way out, the BC on it. I I wish I had all of the information like locked in my brain. Right. But I the only thing I have an issue with is anytime people come out with a new round that is so amazing, until it becomes popular, the availability is gonna be Yeah, you're stuck to to hand loads. Exactly. Yeah. That's
0: the only reason I didn't go with the twenty eight nozzler when I bought this new rifle was because it was a little newer. There's not a lot of ammo out. And then we're in the middle of an ammo crisis the way it
1: is. I'm like, eh, it's probably a safer bet to go with the 300 wind mag. 300 wind mag is one of those rounds that like you will always be able to find ammo for it. Yeah. And the knockdown power is amazing. And so, yeah, all the new rounds are super sweet. And if I had the money <laughs> and I had enough to buy bulk ammo, I totally would. But I, I now have found myself really kind of sticking to the common rounds that you can always find.
0: Yeah, I loved it. I hit my mule deer at 496 on that rifle, and it stood up and then dumped. Like, it didn't even take a single step. Um, So You can't complain with performance like that. I mean, obviously, the antelope dumped, but they do that with almost anything you shoot them (laughs) with if you shoot them in a good spot. Slingshot. Yeah, so I wasn't surprised then, but, you know, hitting a mature mule deer, a a three-and-a-half-year-old mule deer, um, I consider that mature because I'm a public land do-it-yourselfer. I know there's some people out there that shoot monsters, but yeah, just hitting a a mule deer in the heart at 496 yards and he doesn't take a single step. I mean, that's, that's bullet performance. You can hang your
1: hat on. So I was really happy with those monolithics. Yeah. That's sweet. Do you, have you gotten into the decoy craze at all? Like, um, the Dakota decoys or any of the lightweight decoys, even the ultimate predator that you can hook on the front of your bow? I have a Miss September, which if you've looked at that, it's like, I feel like it was a
0: joke that made it into production. <laughs> yeah. It's the, it's the rear facing view of a cow elk. So put that two together. Yep. Um, and I used it on my North Dakota hunt because it's such open terrain. I got pinned at 400 yards, which sounds ridiculous, but it was an open valley with a herd of 12, 15 cows and this bowl. I couldn't get any closer. I was on the rim of of the ridge. And so I set it up there. And then I try to do some soft cow calls just to, you know, see if I could get him to walk out. He was in some cedar bushes, and you know I don't recommend doing too much calling behind a decoy. But this is like a very limited entry unit, and I was wearing blaze orange, so I felt somewhat comfortable in like an open terrain. Yeah, doing it. I wouldn't make a practice out of calling behind a decoy during (laughs) rifle season. No. So, yeah, I've used it. I bring it with on every archery hunt, but I rarely use it on archery hunts. Yeah. It's just one of those things where you you got to have a good situation, and we just haven't really found that situation yet. I mean, if we probably dedicated ourselves to using them more, we'd probably have good luck. Yeah. It's just one of those things where you don't think about in the moment.
1: Yeah. I, I stopped by the Ultimate Predator booth out at the Hunt Expo, and, I mean, the guy was a good salesman. Not good enough to where I bought it, but <laughs> right. where I'm probably going to buy it for uh, before I do an archery elk hunt. But they were showing me the snap-on beads that they put on them now. Uh, you can put it right on the eyes, and it gives it the three-dimensional look. I mean, they actually look like eyes. Looking at them side by side, the the 2D versus that, it's night and day. And then he was talking to me about when he gets on an elk hunt, an archery elk hunt, he has it clipped on the front of his bow, and... He's had bulls that get hung up. You know, they come in, they hear something. So they come in skeptical and looking. And he's like, I can hold my bow up and just flick the ear of it to make it look like, you Oh, know, movement. It's just got some real movement. And he's like, I've watched just flicking the ear on that thing. Turn that bull from skeptical to I am coming in right now. And it'll close 60 yards just like that. Just because he has some movement. And I know you know, the guy's going to tell me all the best <laughs> encounters right. that he had because he's selling me it. But to think like a bull is going to come in that close. I mean, it would be worth trying it for sure.
0: Well, right. I mean, so a heads up decoy like that. I mean, they're not breaking the bank. Yep. If it gets you one bull, I'd say that was a good
1: investment.
0: 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, that's a big issue, especially if you're a solo archery hunter is getting windowed. I mean, you're typically calling and so, you call this bull in if you can get him to respond and get interested no matter what level of interest you you spark in him he's only going to come to the window Yep. and he's going to peek his head inside the window and that can differ you know for me in North Dakota that was 400 yards he could see where I was calling from from 400 yards he's not going to take another step unless he sees an elk yeah and he's not I mean realistically he wasn't going to come in anyway because he had 13 cows I just needed him to step out of the bush yeah um in black timber of wyoming or montana that window could be as tight as 10 yards before he can see where you're calling from and he might come into that but he's not going to come any further unless you see him so if you're by yourself and you're trying to call elk that might be something you really want to invest in and bring out with you so you could set that decoy up back up maybe five ten feet or or jump ahead five ten feet depending on your setup and and get that you want to be able to shoot him when he sticks his head in that window because he's not going to take another step.
1: Yeah. Uh, have you have you explored other opportunities out west yet? Have you thought about, I mean, I know you enjoy whitetail and shed hunting. Have you thought about doing some western whitetail hunting?
0: Yeah, I've had a couple of western whitetail tags. I really like it. Um, it's a change of pace. So my whitetail hunting in Minnesota at the family place is is a lot of tree stand hunting and and like elevated box blind hunting the western whitetail hunting is more like that elk mule deer style where you're running ridge lines and you glass and you're looking for the animal you want and then you go after it and so it's a lot it's a different change of pace and it's really fun i've been really liking that and then in north dakota you can pick up some whitetail buck rifle tags as a resident on your second choice draw so i'm building points for a mule deer and i'm still getting to go on an antlered hunt by picking up a a whitetail buck tag and like a less desirable unit, but there's still good bucks out there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, dude, that's super awesome. I want to, that's on my bucket list is getting out there and, and chasing after whitetails out West. I just love the terrain out there. I love the scenery out there. Right. And so to be able to do something that I grew up doing, but in a new place like that, I think would be a lot of fun. And most people who are going out to Colorado, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, they're going after the mule deer and the elk. And I feel like now, of course, you know, Meat Eater, Randy Newberg, all those guys, they are, (laughs) they're making it known that there's a lot of big whitetails out there. So I'm sure the pressure is going to be greater, but I feel like the draw for most people is still going to be the elk and muley. And so to try to get out there and do a whitetail hunt
0: would be. Yeah. There's definitely some quality whitetails out there. I mean, you're not going to run into Southeast Iowa style whitetails around every bush in the West, but it's, You know, there's a lot of three, four year old whitetails running around 120 to 150 inch whitetails that you can pick up a tag kind of, I mean, a lot of times it'll be easier than your meal deer tag, maybe not quite elk, but
1: it's just another opportunity to, to go on a hunt. I mean, who's going to turn that down? Yeah. Um, back to gear and and check out this product placement. What do you do to keep your beard moisturized <laughs> out in the West? How <laughs> bizarre that you bring that up. <laughs>
0: I actually started my own beard company. Um yeah, so, that I mean, I know Dan's joking, but no, I did start my own uh, beard company, Bull Elk Beard Oil. I have a full
1: beard, obviously, and so I just started it's, it as a fun I, thing. I've got to tell people, because you can't see him right now, he has a red beard, and I feel like red beards are on a different level than every other type of beard. It's deep red though. I'm not a ginger. No, 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 not, not like a super ginger beard. But it's like it's. I would say it's a smoldering red. I don't know. Just yeah. like, gosh, the way that you looked me in the eyes when you said that is disturbing. No, yeah, it it really is good product. And and when we first talked about it, and you were like, "Hey man, uh, you know, do you have a big beard?" And I'm like, "Uh, I." My, first off, my mustache—I call it the reverse Hitler because it doesn't grow as you can see right, right in, the in the middle. middle yeah, um, and then I, I'm missing the spots where, like, to complete the Fu Manchu. And I—I um, uh, I grow an okay beard, but my wife hates it. She, yeah, she she won't let me go clean shaven. But the beard oil is actually really amazing.
0: Yeah. It's so like when you're out West, especially like the longer your beard gets, it's going to work like a big radiator and out there it's so windy and dry as it is. Your beard's going to feel like a wire brush after a couple of days. And so that's kind of where I started making my own beard oil just for me. And then I realized it was going pretty well, I handed out some samples. People were liking them. So I decided to start a company and, and actually walking up on my North Dakota bull, he had, you know, the full fall beard. It was actually raining. So it was kind of like um, dreaded up a little bit. And I was like, "Oh, bull elk beard oil would be a sweet name," because obviously I want to focus towards the hunting community. Yeah, and so I went with it, and it's been it's been really fun, and it it does help, like you said, keep your beard a little hydrated. It's gonna feel better for you, but it's gonna look better for like your wives and girlfriends out there. Um, and then also like keeping it trimmed in the right spots really helps with the with the the females as well. So if you keep the you know a lot of people. Forget to trim the sides so it starts growing out wide and looks kind of wild looking. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you taper those sides up by your sideburns to like a whatever your hair length is, taper that back. So I'm, you know, I'm bald, so I taper it to skin. Um, that'll help it look a lot better. And then like cleaning up the mustache, making sure that doesn't hang over. That's a big one with, you know, my fiance. I'm sure most, most uh, wives and girlfriends out there are the same. Yeah.
1: Now, uh, now I feel like you need to you need to advance in your beard oil game to where you're making like cow estrus scented and then it'll help. I mean, it might not be pleasant to wear, but it'll <laughs> right. help with your scent or even dude, you could do cedar or sagebrush and then you just blend in with the natural environment.
0: Yeah, we do have a pine. Um, yep. There's a pine scented one. It was kind of a shot at like making one that you could use hunting. I know like an elk's probably still going to pick that up and be like, Oh, that's a uh, ponderosa and we have jack pine. I don't know. <laughs> um, Yeah, so we did do that. We're going to build into some beard balms as well to help form and shape a little bit better. Um, But I've had people comment and be like, does it smell like a bull? And I'm like, you probably haven't gone elk hunting because they do not smell good
1: no if you're walking through the woods and you smell a bull elk just go rub your face wherever it smells the most yeah see how how well you can handle that the rest of the hunt
0: yeah and see how well your your wife likes you when you come back (laughs) and you smell i mean it smells like a cattle yard if you guys haven't been out hunting yet when you hit the hot zone it'll smell like a cattle yard and that's how you know you're in the right spot
1: yeah it's it's an unmistakable smell yeah and it's one that i dude i get giddy when i get to a spot and i can just smell them and I start moving slower. I go into full on predator mode once you get the whiff of them.
0: It's funny. Cause a lot of times we'll be walking in groups of like two to four archery hunting. Cause we try to hunt with at least two, but sometimes it can be as much as four, like especially on the way into a good spot. And if we catch a whiff of elk, everyone stops at the same spot and like looks at
1: each other. Like, did you get that too? <laughs> like, am I smelling this? Oh yeah. We, we got that smell. We were set up this year for second rifle in Colorado and I kept telling the guys, I was hunting with three three guys who had never elk hunted before and one that had, and we get within a hundred yards of camp down this trail to a glassing spot that we had been uh, the two days before season opened and we're walking and we get like just out of sight of camp and I go, do you smell that? And everybody looked at me and they're like, that's what you're talking about, isn't it? I'm like, dude, the elk freaking were in here this morning when we were still sleeping like before daylight and so we set up and we didn't see anything or shoot anything so well,
0: that's the problem they move so fast but typically when you're smelling that strong scent it's either like a wallow that's got a lot of scent build up or else they're like close and they're good chance they're still like there in the area if you're still smelling them
1: yeah we we got out to the glassing point and i mean we had spotted them from that spot uh two days before the first day that we got in we got camp set up went out and we started glassing and we saw them way across the Valley. I mean, probably just shy of a mile. And, uh, the spot that we were camped at, it was a clearing. Um, and then it had two trails going out onto these fingers that most people, when they turned, they saw our camp and thought that was the end of the road. And so we had those two fingers all to ourselves the whole time. nice. The only problem is the fingers were fairly exposed, but there was a strip of timber in between us and the fingers. That was just a highway for elk and i was like dude we're gonna catch them in here at some point we will i just know it and we never ended up doing it but you could just tell and you could smell it and you could see the sign like they were using it still while we were there it was just so thick that even if they were moving around feeding you'd never see them until they stepped out
0: yeah that's the thing about elk hunting. there's no shooting lanes there's no nice food plot edges to set your tree stand on and have nope. 180 degrees of shot opportunity i mean a lot of times you can't even see the whole elk you're shooting at. I mean, sometimes that's different for a rifle, but a lot of times
1: with bow, you're looking at portions of an elk and you're hopefully the vitals are the portion that's open. Oh, yeah. And one thing that, I mean, it sticks with me every time like you play your wind when you're whitetail hunting, right? With elk, you've got to be conscious of wind and thermals, anything swirling, and they will pick you off from a long ways away. And it's not like. A deer a deer might smell you from 300 yards away but it's not strong enough to like really push it out of the area right with elk i've watched them bolt at 700 yards because the wind shifted at the wrong time or it swirled down below and we didn't think it was going to make it to him and it did right and yeah that's a huge factor well
0: first of all i mean yeah whitetail hunting you can keep your clothes clean you can put them in all types of scent crusher products you you take your scent free shower you get dressed in the field you walk slowly to your stand because you left an hour early and you're sitting with very minimal scent in the tree stand and you're playing the wind. Yep. Elk hunting, I mean, for those of you that have done it, you know you take about six steps uphill and you're sweating. Yep. Right. So right off the bat, your scent control goes out the window. So most of us, like I don't I don't wash my elk clothes and scent free stuff. I don't use scent free deodorant. It's like you're gonna sweat and stink anyway. There's no showers in a tent. You might as well just you have to play the wind. And then this other thought, like you have a whitetail and elk right behind us here in the studio. I mean, that elk's got like a 15 inch nose. Yeah. So you got like all this power to smell stuff. Their, their faces are huge, but like, they're going to pick up smells better than a whitetail too. Cause they're, they're better equipped to smell.
1: Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll start wrapping this up just because I know, Oh dang, dude, we're at an hour and 15 minutes that flew by. Um, that's what elk hunting does do you. It really does. What, uh, a couple questions before we hop off, though. what What's on your bucket list? What do you want to uh, hunt more than anything else, or what location?
0: Um, I really want to do the, the brown bear with a bow. I had an acquaintance that did that, and it looks like just the most exhilarating experience you can imagine. Um, or a, And a big moose with a bow, that's up there. Recently, I've been starting to get really interested in sheep, which I know is not a good idea for my (laughs) my, uh, financial independence, um, because that's a a totally different story. But yeah, sheep hunting has been kind of creeping into the brain. And then for some reason, now that I've seen some big bulls, I'm really, really wanting to get on some upper 300-inch bulls in my life. I mean, it might take me 40 years to draw a tag or to be able to afford a hunt like that, but... If I could have an opportunity at a 400-inch bull, man,
1: oh, there's something about that. Yeah, I need to. I mean, I've got I've got the elk hunting bug for sure, but I really need to. I need to get the archery elk hunting bug because I just haven't been in them bugling. I've seen them bugle, but I've never been in them and calling to them. And I think as soon as I do that, my whole hunting world is going to change.
0: For all the turkey hunters out there, <laughs> I wish you could experience a bull bugling because they will rattle your chest like the, like the speakers at a concert. Like it is so loud and they're like 50 yards away still. And they're rattling your chest. It is a whole nother calling experience when
1: you can get a bull to bugle in your face. Yeah, that's, that's sweet. Um, last question. Where can, where can people follow along with what you're doing? Where, where can they find you and your product?
0: Yeah. Uh, the product bull elk, beard Pretty simple. Um, make it all in, in the USA and, uh, ship it myself to every part of the process. It's a one man shop. And then as far as just reaching out and getting connected, I'm on TikTok, uh, the beard guy, Brian, um, you know, beard guy, Brian and Instagram, I think it's still Brian at Nodak seven Oh one. So I might have to update that now that I no longer live in North Dakota, but oh, yeah. those are my main two platforms. Um, You know, TikTok for the funs and laughs, and then Instagram for the actual cool content that you can
1: post. Nice. Dude, awesome, man. I appreciate you not only being on the show, but coming out, shed hunting, and uh, we're going to do this a lot more now. Dude, I'm excited. And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. I had had a ton of fun just chatting with Brian, picking his brain about the gear, the equipment, the style that he uses when he goes out west and something I got to share with you. I think we kind of underplayed how sick he was out there today. We were we were hiking around and he's like, man, I'm not feeling so hot. And he's like, I feel like all of my systems are shutting down right now. And I'm like, dang dude, we can go back if you want. And he's like, man, we've been talking about shed hunting. I've been inviting you up to the Dakotas. You've been uh, telling me that we can come out to Wisconsin and do it and he's like and now we're out here and i'm i'm falling apart anyways i looked over at one point we had just crossed the fence onto this new little chunk of property under some pine trees and we were very hopeful that we would find sheds there and i looked over and he was on all fours just cutting loose in the woods i mean it was it was not a good sight i looked over at the wrong time and i could see him actually throwing up and I had to turn away because that almost made me do it myself. So anyways, we ended up finding a shed, but more than that, it was a ton of fun getting to meet him. And there's a lot of other properties that I can shed hunt up there. And I'm hoping that I can get out and do a lot of that soon. So uh, I might be making another trip trip up there here in a couple weeks. And if I do, you better be sure that I'm gonna give Brian a call. Hopefully him and Grizz can come out and give me a hand on another property. So hopefully you guys took a lot away from that as far as Western hunting goes though. Uh, he had a lot of good insight for um, gear, the things that he's using out there, what to what to stay away from, what he was super confident in uh, after his first use. And so um, lots of cool things. I'm going to be looking into those broadheads though. Those broadheads sound pretty killer. The single bevel. I, I'm not... I'm a gear junkie as as far as, like, wanting to get new things a lot, but as far as diving deep into the details of them, reading all the reviews, figuring out why they made things a certain way, I definitely lack in that area. So it's fun when I can connect with someone like Brian who does that research. I mean, he really puts in the time to know that the gear he's using is going to be the best thing for the job that he's doing. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. Until next time, get out there and chase a new adventure.